quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I am Nicole. And I am Noelle. And we'd like to welcome you to our third installment of our Jonestown series, Jonestown Drift. No. That's what we're calling it, right? No. What are we calling it then? Tokyo Jones. No. Jonestown's, Jonestown Drift. JT Trois. JT Trois. Jones. Well, whatever. <laughs> I like Tokyo Jones. Tokyo Jones. Jonestown Drift. Tokyo Jones sounds like a kung fu movie. It does. Regardless, it's our third installment. Of the Jonestown series. Yes, and what will be a four-part series, four our longest parts. series of all series. It's, it's exhausting, man. I am so tired. I feel yeah. like I live in Jonestown. I feel like I am Jim Jones at this point. I have been reading Road to Jonestown for too long. It's a bad It's a bad place to be in mentally. I read it. I go back. I read it again. <laughs> I go back. I read it again. I just bought a spider monkey. So from a man in a trench coat. <laughs> yes. Nicole, I told you don't talk to I, my neighbor. I know. I had he's to. He was so fucking weird. He's he's so convincing though. Anyways, we just did our movie club. You know what we did do our movie club. And it was very fun. It and was, I'm I'm so happy everyone yeah. that came. We had a really good time. It was super fun. We're currently eating red vines and popcorn right now. We are. Because <laughs> leftovers. Leftovers. So I just want to say thank you to all of our sweet little babies that attended. And also, yeah. if I'm burping through this one, but I'm going to power through <laughs> and you can't even edit that burp out because I'm letting it be in here because it's real and it's so late. And we're so tired and we're going to power through this power one. Yes. So thank you um, to everyone that attended. If you were not able to attend, we will be posting it on our Patreon. Patreon. So you can watch it there. You can watch us be weird and look like idiots while we don't know how to work technology. Yeah, that's basically the what our lives consist of. It's, just us not working technology. It's so embarrassing because we always practice beforehand and then we fuck it up and in the it moment. it never works. Funny story. Mm-hmm. This morning, um, I did a test. <laughs> Nicole, I love this story. Nicole was pissing her pants at this. I was peeing. I did. Actively peeing. She was actively yeah. peeing everywhere. It was... I did a test live <laughs> on YouTube to make sure that it was going to work for our Nicole's cranking up right now. Can we please post the picture? I will post a picture. It's fucking terrible. It's horrendous. So I'm wearing a robe. I'm wearing a, a straight up pink towel on my hair. My fucking face is... I just got out of the shower, okay? And I had this thought that I needed to test the Facebook or the Instagram live or YouTube or whatever, the Patreon live situation um, to make sure we don't look like asshats when it comes to the point. (laughs) So I titled it like, this is a test. It's just going to be like one second long. And (laughs) so we went live. I went live in a fucking bathrobe on our Patreon. Not not knowing that it would anyone would see it and my partner joined so that he could test it for me mm-hmm. and that was cool and then another person person joined but i couldn't see who it was <laughs> so i i aborted so hard and then <laughs> and then i was like oh my god that was so scary and then i looked back and it saved it and it posted it on our youtube yes, and it was it public yes it was and five fucking people <laughs> watched it 
So I deleted it. It was like 45 seconds of me with a double chin. I looked like a fucking ass face. <laughs> it was like the classic. It was bad. It wasn't just like if you were like, okay, let's let's try to test something. Just being like, okay, I'm not, I'm in like a t-shirt. I'm not dressed. No. Whatever. It wasn't even that. It uh-uh. was like she was in a robe. A robe. Her hair was wrapped up uh-huh. in this like. It was like a microfiber hair towel. Yeah, it was a microfiber hair it was bad, dude. It was fucking bad. Like, my acne is on full red display. Your just acne exfoliated. is not bad, even. It was a bad fucking time. The funniest part was that you she sent me then a picture of herself <laughs> in what she was wearing. And she was like, five people from our Patreon just saw me yeah. look like this. This live. <laughs> you know what the worst part was? What? When we got on. For our movie club, I yeah. asked who fucking who watched saw? that shit, and no one fessed up to it. <laughs> Not a single person, and I know everyone there basically. Yeah. So if if fucking you saw that shit, if you saw that, please DM me, and I'll send you one of those microfiber hair towels because they fucking rule, dude. DM us because we want to know who saw. I want to know who saw <laughs> me in all my glory. Well, it's been deleted, so you'll never be able to see it. But if you do want to see a video of us, <laughs> hit the link in our bio or go to patreon.com slash quite unusual pod and you mm. can check it out there. Yeah. So if you want like super cool content of like our after shows and then our movie club. And if you also want content no. of Noelle in a robe. <laughs> Me and, like testing our, <laughs> our lives to see if they work yeah. in the most embarrassing situations. You can have it because that's what happens on our Patreon. So yeah. if you're into that definitely join it if you're into making me look like a fool (laughs) hit up our patreon it is so fucking sick yes you're gonna love it anyways if you are following along with the last couple of episodes that we have been releasing you know we're doing a jonestown series uh yeah we are and you know that we talked about jim and his early life jimba jimba the ugly eskimo oh no so you've heard about his weirdo parents and his even more weirdo tendencies growing up. We moved into the formation of Jim's first church. Community unity. Community unity, which will never not be funny. I Just, want like a gray men's cut t-shirt in like an extra large. It says community, community unity church. And then you also know about his door-to-door spider monkey selling. Then he had a vision. He had... About a nuclear blast. I have a vision. It was just like a nuclear blast or whatever. Can you give me that monkey? Because I gotta go sell that thing right now. (laughs) So he had a vision that a nuclear blast would happen in Indiana. And his brilliant plan was to find a safe place to live free of nuclear explosions. So when we picked back up, we talked about Jim's rainbow family, his trip to Brazil, where he banged a diplomat's wife. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Who apparently also donated money to an orphanage, but uh, enough of that. Yeah, I guess. The People's Temple then moves to Ukiah, California. Got to. Where they switch their tune a little bit, and Jim buys a fleet of buses, and they start hitting the road doing shows with even more gross healings oh yeah air quotes talking chicken livers here right if we're gonna call them that we're not we're not we're not calling them that so 
But then Jim spirals into a drug-fueled sex maniac who is basically just lying all of the time, and then eventually he moves to San Francisco. Well, where else would a sex-fueled, drug-filled maniac move? Especially if he's got some sick wayfarers on. Let's mm. be honest right now, baby. San Francisco is the only place. It's the only place for him. Jim then admits to being an atheist. He meets a really good friend named Tim Stone. Tim and Jim, BFFs forever. Tim and Jim, BFFs forever. And then he bangs Tim's wife, and she gets pregnant. That is not what BFFs do. BFFs do not do that. But we get introduced to the People's Temple mascot, Mr. Muggs. Oh, so sad. The chimpanzee. The chimp that shits everywhere. Oh, yes. And Jim starts to pivot into politics now. And he is a big influence, and he even makes some very powerful politician friends. Mm. Jim and Marceline's relationship goes from bad to worse, and he threatens to kill her if she leaves. Jim also starts making some powerful pol- political friends, like Rosalind Carter. The peanut farmer's wife. Yeah. That's right. I mean, hey. But then we meet the gang of eight who defected from the People's Temple, and because of this, Jim Jones gets more and more controlling of his members. And that's, I guess, where we're going to start and dive into part three. That's right. Part three is going to be a real mixed bag here. The problem is, is that we have found so much fucking information on Jim Jones and the whole situation that at this point, honestly, we just have had to cut shit. Like... There's a lot of stuff. Jim did this whole thing where he was masturbating in a movie theater and he tried to pick up some dude and it was like, we just had to leave it out. For sure. I mean, if anyone wants to do any more research, highly suggest reading the book, The Road to Jonestown. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also we are technically doing a fifth part on this one on our Patreon where we're going to talk about conspiracies. We're going to talk about some little fun stuff that we missed that we couldn't fit into our eight hours of content on the regular show. So hit us up there if you want to hear more or do your own research. Let us know what you find. Yeah. This is a thick-ass quagmire of shit. A deep, deep story. And we're just going to jump into something called uh, the defection of Joyce Shaw and also the subsequent murder of her husband. Yeah. Which I feel like is a very, very great place to start for part three. It's a fantastic place to start, and I am interested to hear about it. So please, Noelle, enlighten us. Oh, I shall. So by this time, as we talked about, there have been quite a few defections from the People's Temple, like this Gang of Eight we talked about last episode. The devastating thing is that this often ripped families apart. Frequently, there was always one half of a couple that believed in Jim Jones and another half that did not. There is absolutely nothing that you can do if your spouse doesn't want to leave a cult. You just have to leave without them and then hope that you can come back and take your children with you if you have any. Yeah, I think at that point, if your spouse wants to stay with the cult and you want to leave, it's kind of like... You're you're gonna get divorced. It's, it's fucked, like, dude. It's bye. Yeah, at that point. Can you imagine? No, it's not a tomato tomato situation. That's for sure. That's yeah, a you you're you're with me or you're not in situation. a cult. You're in a cult or you're not. Exactly. 
Well, defectors, as Jimba called them, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep calling him Jimba. Jimba, it's so cute, mm. and it makes me hate him less. I still hate him. Oh well, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. little sweet baby Jimba. <laughs> <laughs> um, these defectors were starting to get together after leaving the cult. And I'm also going full on cult, no longer calling it a religious society. No, no, it's it's not a church. It's not a religious. It is, it's a cult. It's a cult. Okay, cool. We're going hard cult. Hard cult. Well, these people that left the cult, they decided they should probably tell everyone what was going on. So they started talking to a reporter. Unlike last time that this happened with a, remember the seven part series where Joan got like half of it shut down? Well, this time the ex-cult members were willing to give their names and real proof of what was going on to kind of back it up. San Francisco reporter Marshall Kilduff of the San Francisco Chronicle was having trouble with his newspaper being willing to publish the, the stories that he has of the survivors of this cult. So he reached out to his reporter friend named Phil Tracy, and the two decided to really, really bring the proof so hard. They spoke to as many ex-People's Temple members as they possibly could, and they took their stories to the New West magazine, who gladly agreed to print every single story that they had about the allegations against Jim Jones and the People's Temple. The two reporters built and built their evidence, And then Jimbo found out. He tried to shut it down, but since nothing had technically been released yet, he couldn't do anything about it. Mm, Nice try, Jimbo. And this scared the fucking shit out of him. (laughs) He knew people had the truth, and they were going to put it all out there. Meanwhile, while all of this evidence gathering was happening and Jimbo was shitting his pants... Temple member Joyce Shaw was just about fed up and decided on July 16th of 1976, while most of the cult members were traveling on a cross-country bus trip, that she was done with the People's Temple and Jim Jones's bullshit for fucking ever. Hell yeah. This wasn't always the case, though. Until just a few months prior to this, she was absolutely obsessed with Jim and his causes. In 1970, she saw Jim Jones for the very first time. She saw him speak at a college. She says, quote, he was impressive, a mesmerizing speaker. I'm sure he was. At the time, I thought to myself, he is either a messiah or a paranoid schizophrenic. (laughs) And she remembered that about Jim Jones. And I'm just going to say it. More like a paranoid psychopath with a messiah complex to me. Also, why are, why is it between those two things? Like, he's either a messiah or he's fucking crazy. I, do, I don't know. <laughs> either it, or. And why are you taking the bet on that? Trying to think maybe it's the fact that he's a, messi- a messiah instead of just him being a paranoid schizophrenic look okay either he is a fucking psychopathic murderer that's going to lead 900 people to their death or he's like jesus or he's the second coming of jesus but like i just don't know yeah i don't know i don't know why you would see that in somebody and then choose to follow them that to me is not something that i would be okay with yeah, I agree with that. And also, ladies, I'm just putting this out there. Gentlemen, also, if you see a man in flip-flops, he's not Jesus. He's just gross. <laughs> yeah. There it is. She said it. <laughs> she fucking said I'm it. I'm not backing down. She, Heart, put the, she put the lines down. Hot seat, cool throne on that one. <laughs> 
So Joyce Shaw was absolutely hooked on the message that Jim was putting out there. And she was hooked on Jim, to be quite honest. She joined right up, hard temple member day one. She was very intelligent and she quickly made her way into the planning commission, working as a legal secretary. At this point, she had tons of degrees. I mean, this woman was just a jack of all trades, super smart. Mm. In the planning commission, she met Bob Houston, who would be her future husband. Both Joyce and Bob were running one of People's Temple's communal houses. They shared taking care of dozens of children in need. She thought she was literally doing God's work. In 1972, the two married. Joyce remembers asking Jones if they could have more money for food for the children that they were raising. Again, this is between 12 and like 24 kids that they got. Right. They have a lot of kids at this point. Right. They're taking care of all these fucking children and working full-time jobs. Yeah. So she asks for more food for all of these children that they're fostering, which also Bob's two biological children live with them. Mm -hmm. But Jimba denies it. So she starts buying food on the side with her paycheck. And at the time, most members ate one meal a day, which was typically, are you ready for this? Yeah. A sandwich filled with beans. Mm. Literally two pieces of bread, right? I'm talking Wonder Bread, like the shittiest type of white bread you could ever imagine. (laughs) The cheapest bread. With beans in the middle? And she knew that this wasn't enough for anyone, but especially growing children. Okay, I have a few things to say because I think that's disgusting. But also, Austin eats beans and bread all of the time. What? I I don't understand it either. It's a thing that he calls a bean toasty. What does that mean? I, I barf every time he eats it, but it's like it's beans on bread. Apparently, I mean, it's a thing. It's a very popular thing in England, and I don't know why. I guess something about it just... It just doesn't sit right with me. Like, I like beans and I like bread. But do I like beans and bread together? No. Is it I like don't. a is it a sandwich or is it like beans on toast? Um, you can eat it as a sandwich and you can also just eat it as beans on toast. Oh boy. It's, I don't approve of that. It's a thing. I'm going to text him and it's, tell him he's wrong. It's very I yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. So if you eat that and you like it, tell please, us why. Please DM us and give us the positive qualities of eating beans, <laughs> beans on, on bread. bread. That's a lot of carbs. I mean, hey, Austin loves it. I know that people in England love it too. So there must be something to it. I don't know what it is, but it's there. So. Not for me. Not for me either. Well, this made Jim Jones absolutely furious that she was buying her own food mm-hmm. without his approval. Right. And Jim started demanding at this point that all temple members eat meals or I guess, like, meal, because they're only getting this one bean on toast situation How a day. How do you only eat one meal a day? You're a fucking socialist, and Jim Jones is going to kill you soon, so that's how. Oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, so they're eating meal together at the church <laughs> to avoid any kind of, quote, outsider influence. Bob and Joyce had major issues with this. Bob began to question Jim about specific details of his socialist theory. 
if his brand of socialism did not involve giving children the food that they needed to thrive. Uh, yeah. These two were fully out. Yeah. Which I approve of. Right. That is not socialism. You can't just deny children of food. No, Because that's like, you don't have the funds to give it. I don't even know why he was denying them, denying them, but. I don't know. But that's not even anti-socialist. It's just child abuse. Yeah. Jim branded Bob Houston as, quote, an insensitive intellectual. He called him a class enemy, and he also encouraged other people's temple members to bully Bob. Also, calling him an insensitive intellectual just kind of sounds like he's just calling him somebody who is smart enough to see through Jim Jones's shit. Yeah. So. But then when you have other people bullying him, well, it yeah. sort of brings him down a peg. Bob was forced into the boxing ring for punishment because of this. Of course. Being beaten in front of so many people, made to be embarrassed in front of his family and his wife, Joyce. Joyce wanted out and she tried to convince Bob to come with him. He, for some reason, declined. Joyce started secretly sneaking personal possessions out of her house with the trash and also with the laundry until one day she left work with a very small bag, a few hundred dollars that she had stolen away from her income, income that was meant to go solely to the church, sorry, cold, and left for her parents' house in Ohio on a bus. She was terrified that the People's Temple knew where she was going and they were following her. She got away successfully, but Bob Houston wasn't so lucky. I just have to say, damn Joyce, good on you. Dude, right? Like, wow. Good for getting out. She straight up kept money on the side in a yeah. to-go bag, and she fucking left when she yeah. knew she had to. Hell yeah. That's a power move. It's a smart woman right there. On October 2nd of 1976, Joyce called Bob Houston to try again to get him to leave, telling him that his girls and him could move in with her, be a family again, rekindle their relationship, and be happy. The line she called on, however, just happened to be recorded by the People's Temple. <sighs> and remember how Jim Jones felt about people leaving a play date before he was ready oh. for them to leave? Oh, yeah. We remember. Well, unfortunately for Bob, he was made to find out exactly how Jimba felt. Mm. Three days after their phone call, while at work at the Southern Pacific Railroad Yard, where he worked, Bob Houston's body was found literally cut in half, Jeez. laid over train tracks. The People's Temple story is that the morning of his death, Bob had coincidentally, I'm using a lot of air quotes here, so just <laughs> imagine, Yeah, coincidentally decided that the People's Temple was just no longer for him and that he wanted to leave and be with Joyce. The temple maintains that he was given the right to leave by Jim Jones himself. And he even gave a resignation letter stating that he was leaving of his own free will. Hmm. Yeah, not suspicious, right? Definitely not at all. No. I, I don't question that at all. No, no, it's just no. a weird coincidence. Yeah, totally. Well, conveniently, this letter was typed on a typewriter, which Joyce Shaw believes is a clear case of forgery. Uh, yeah, no shit. Bob never, ever fucking typed. He also always hand-wrote letters. And, of course, there was no handwriting to match up mm. to Bob's previous letters, making it impossible to prove that this was a forgery. The story is that Bob was tired at work, so he thought that he would lay down for a nap, 
of course, on top of some live train tracks like one does. <laughs> and then he was so sound asleep that he didn't notice that a train was coming and it just cut his body in half. I mean, obviously, mm. that makes perfect sense to me. Mm. Okay. Um. So let me get this straight. Uh-huh. Bob wanted to nap at work. Oh, so tired. And the best place for him to do that was on train tracks. Horizontally. Oh, yeah. On train tracks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Perpendicularly laying on these. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like across all of these train okay. tracks. Uh-huh. Okay, so number one, that's just not a thing that people do. Well, Bob Houston did it. You don't lay on train tracks if you want to go to sleep. Number two, you're trying to tell me that whilst laying on said train tracks, Bob wasn't awoken by the sound and rumbling of an actual train moving down those tracks oh no no he was so tired girl he was so you know like like when you're tired and mm, you can just fall okay. asleep on like a comfy little couch no i don't know that actually. okay well he did it on train tracks okay like one does okay well normal mm, well i'll just put this out there so we grew up in Des Plaines, and there are many train tracks in Des Plaines. fun fact did you know that Des Plaines, Illinois has more train crossings mm-hmm. than any, any other, other city in the United States? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I've witnessed it and dealt with it many a times trying to drive places while living in that city. Also, I actually grew up in a house in Des Plaines near train tracks because we have so many going through that town. It's constant. Right? I grew up a block away from train tracks, and I will say, when a train went by, my fucking bed would shake. So to tell me that Bob was laying directly on train tracks and he didn't wake up when a train was barreling towards him, so I'm calling bullshit on that. He was super sleepy. Anecdotal evidence. No, he was super sleepy. Nope, don't believe it. He was was so tired. Don't believe it. Train tracks are so comfortable. Yeah. Use one as like a pillow. Use the other one as like an ass rest. I don't even know. They're (laughs) like not that far The middle of your back is the one and then your ass is the other and you just lay there as straight as a board. I'm trying to think of how you even lay across train tracks comfortably. Unless you lay. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Well... After Bob's definitely accidental death that had nothing to do with the People's <laughs> Temple, the mother of Bob's children, who was also a temple member, began to once again take care of his girls. Which, before, she just straight up abandoned them. Oh, and so was, she was in the temple. She was a member. And she yeah, just, yeah. Oh. She was there, and she was like, yeah, I don't want these, and gave them to Bob. Wow. And then Bob died after taking a sleepy time nap. Mm-mm. And what well, accidental, yeah. yeah, you know, naturally, how it, yeah, you know how it goes, as one does. You're just so sleepy on the train tracks, <laughs> and, and then she was like, "Well, he's dead, so I'll take him back." Mm-hmm. This woman never ever left the church, even though her children's father was basically killed by the church. Oh, she didn't give a shit. She didn't like him anyways. Well, she she went to Jonestown, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh... Yeah. Joyce Shaw, on the other hand, was terrified to attend the funeral because she knew that she had to honor her husband, but she was terrified to see other temple members. Yeah. 
Supposedly, Joyce brought a tape recorder in her handbag to try to collect evidence, but she was just super obvious about it. Like, she was holding it really up, like, close to Damn her it, mouth. Joyce. I know. And being like, wait, what did you say? I'm sorry. Speak into my purse here. What was that one thing you said about the, the murderer of my husband again? Please... His- Talking to my purse, I think I, I can't hear you from this ear. Uh uh-huh, yeah, Prada can't hear you. Can you just get can you just get up in there? Okay, thanks so much. So she was super obvious about having a tape recorder, so literally none of the temple members spoke to her. Yeah. Which I guess is good because she didn't have to deal with it, but then she also didn't get evidence. Yeah, she failed on that. But who talks about a murder they committed at a funeral? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Well, the next day, she went to the house that the couple had shared to collect Bob's belongings, and she was met by the possibly worst person ever, Caroline Layton. Mm. Caroline Layton was Jim Jones's right hand at the time, and she was able to do pretty much anything that she wanted at the temple because she had the ear of the Lord Jim Jones. Mm. Caroline threatened Joyce, telling her that if she tried to gain custody of Bob's daughters, who were named Judy and Patricia, she would she would be forced to give the signed confessions from her and Bob to the police. Remember when Jim had everyone sign blank pieces of paper? I do. Yeah, of course, because that's very normal. (laughs) Well, on Bob and Joyce's blank pieces of paper, the temple members had written that they confessed to molesting the children. And they signed it. So it was legal? So they just signed a piece of paper and then uh-huh. they filled in the blanks and yeah. told them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's terrible. So she didn't pursue getting the girls back because of this. Yeah. Bob's father, Robert, also known as Sammy Houston, which I love that Sammy is for some reason. A nickname. For Robert. <laughs> okay. I like it. All right. Well, I guess we'll go with it. We're going with it. So Robert Sammy Houston, Bob's father, was an associate press photographer, and he had tons of connections with basically everyone in California at the time. He was not convinced that his son would choose to just take a nap on some train tracks. Yeah, I think that anyone in their right frame of mind would also come to that conclusion. Yeah, he was pretty convinced that the People's Temple were responsible for the death of Bob Houston. Yeah. And he was set on proving that. Sammy Houston gathered what information he could with the help of several other AP reporters. Unfortunately, shortly after, he received two letters, one from Judy and one from Patricia, addressed from Jonestown in Guyana, where Jim Jones had moved the girls. And those are the daughters of Bob Houston. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Sammy was so desperate that he went to his friend, Congressman Leo Ryan, to Mm -hmm. ask for help. This was the first time that Leo Ryan would hear of Jonestown. Leo Ryan's interest was absolutely piqued, and he began investigating Jim Jones and his so-called church. We'll go very, very deep into Leo Ryan's story next episode, yes. along with the fall of Jonestown, because it is quintessential. While Jim was in San Francisco, he started to get noticed by some huge revolutionaries and some big players in political movements all throughout the 70s in California. People like Huey Newton. What? Co-founder of the Black Panther Party. And Jane fucking Fonda. Hanoi Jane? Yes. No. Who was a huge activist and still actually is today. I mean, she gets arrested 
all of the time fighting the man. And honestly, I fucking love her for that. I love Jane Fonda, too. She's and the best. Just, just to, like, defend her for one moment. Yeah. she. I know she went to a few meetings. And she probably was like, fuck, yeah, dude. Like, she so wasn't, Zilla. like, a member, though. We're not going to classify no, her no, as no. that. No, no, no. No, She was not a member. No, not at all. She was trying it out, dipping her toes yeah. in a little Jones, and moving on. Yeah, exactly. But they were actually both known to attend some People's Temple meetings. They weren't official members or anything. But during the time, it was all about activism and all about trying to make a change and they were all for it because yeah man they preached basically the same things that they were fighting for yeah because jim and the people's temple were claiming they were fighting for all of the same things and some i guess members actually were but we all know that jim had other agendas in mind what jimba jimba no so when the Symbionese Liberation Army kidnapped Patty Hearst, Jim was actually all for it, and he started distributing SLA's manifesto to the People's Temple. Whoa. Now, if you don't know about Patty Hearst, she was kidnapped in 1974 by the Symbionese Liberation Army in an attempt to leverage the political influence her family held. Right. She was very, very influential. Yes. Her parents were very rich. They demanded that they free two Symbionese Liberation Army members who were arrested for a murder, and they also demanded that her family donate $70 worth of food to every Californian in need, which they said equaled a total of $400 million. Patty's grandfather was William Randolph Hearst, who was a very successful and powerful man. He was a politician and actually created the nation's largest newspaper chain, which, fun fact about him, have you seen what some regard as the best movie of all time, Citizen Kane? Yeah, dude. Well, the main character, who (gasps) is Charles Kane was actually based on William Randolph Hearst. No shit! Yeah. Wow! Have you seen Mank on Netflix? No! Oh. Is it good? Yes, it is. Really? David Fincher. Gary Oldman plays Mank. What? It's basically about the writing of Citizen Kane. Wow. It's It's gonna fucking... It's going to win everything at the Oscars. Mark my words. Anyways, it's a good movie. You should watch it. Everyone should watch it. Citizen Kane is a must watch. If you haven't seen Citizen Kane, also watch Citizen Kane. Mink. I will look that up. Mink. M-A-N-K. It's streaming on Netflix. Yeah. Anyways, Patty Hearst was kidnapped, and she's actually famously known for joining her kidnappers and then also renaming herself Tanya. I like it, man. You know what? <laughs> you're going to put on a beret. You're a different person. I put on a beret. Guess who I am? Tanya. Sasha. You put on a beret. Guess who you are? Svetlana. That's right, girl. <laughs> it's a whole thing, though, and I I don't really want to get into too much detail about Patty Hearst because I actually really want <gasps> to do a story about her, and I know that you do, too. I do so. She's so cool. It's so cool. So we're not going to go further into that because we're going to do an episode about it. So Jim was like, hell yeah, demanding money from the rich to give to those in need. 
people simple we're so down with that yeah dude you know like this robin hood complex that he pretended to have because he kind of sort of thought it and made it him made him sound cool yeah he wants to seem like he is down for helping the poor at all costs exactly and jim supported this act this kidnapping of patty that is until word got out to the police that the people's temple may be supporting and sympathizing with what the authorities considered a terrorist group. In an attempt to try to convince the police that everything was just super chill, Jim Jones had a couple of his members hand deliver a $2,000 check to the Hearst family to try to help with the ransom money. $2,000. And Jim claimed that he wanted to donate more, but he was just already donating donating to so many other charities that it was just too hard to give any more. So he was only able to give 2,000 of the 400 million that were requested all right well here's the thing is that like we got the kids and they gotta eat at least two bean sandwiches a day (laughs) and then we got like the uh, other things that we donate to too Mm. yes and there's just so many of those other things so we just can't you know here's some money here's a check we're Mm. gonna bring it i'm gonna make my bustiest girls come bring that to you (laughs) And you're going to just be cool with it because that's fine or whatever. And also, is Patty single? (laughs) But seriously, I just looked up how much $2,000 in this time was, like, what it's equivalent to now. Yeah. $13,500. It's a shit ton of money, dude. $2,000, but in... Yeah, the yeah. The sense of that they had demanded four hundred million. Hold on, let me find out what that is. Hold on one second. We're doing this in real time. Ready? Real time. Ready? Ready? One, two, three. Whoa. Okay, are you ready for this? Yeah. This is a lot of fucking money. Yeah. This is two billion six hundred and ninety-six thousand. No, I can't even read this number. Against thirteen thousand. So yes. We will say This number's so big I don't know how to read it. Exactly. But Jim's like, all right, well, I got, like, all these oyster crackers that I could sell. Okay, so, like, if I sold all these oyster crackers, that's going to be at least, like, what, I don't know, $18? You guys want a spider monkey? How many monkeys do you want? They eat the crackers. (laughs) But Jim also stated that none of his members would be accepting the $70 worth of food if they were donated to them by the Hearst family because... Jim did not agree with their methods, and the People's Temple takes care of their own members. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you get, like, one mean sandwich a day. Yeah. You and don't need... On, you know what? That's on Jim. You don't You're need welcome. $70 from the SLA, okay? How many beans okay. does a child need? Eight? Eight beans a day? Eight beans a day. That's Ma- I think that's the, what the doctors say. Maximum yeah. eight beans a day keeps the doctor away. Exactly. That's what, that's that's what Jim saying. Jones always that's says. Saying. Yeah. Well, shockingly, the police did not believe Jim or his efforts at all. I mean, you show up at the Hearst Mansion with a $2,000 check, and you're like, here, take this money. See, I'm on your side. And then 
in all actuality, the Hearst family probably just wiped their ass with it because it's $2,000. Yeah, and it was post-dated. Like, you couldn't <laughs> cash a thing until 2028, and yeah. he's like, I'm pretty sure that the country's not going to be a thing by then. And you're like, ah, uh, we're good. Thanks, Jim. The police also interviewed members of the People's Temple who claimed that a year before Patty Hearst's kidnapping, Jim had made a statement that William Randolph Hearst would be the target of a group because he represented a capitalist society. Damn. They also had proof that the SLA leader, Donald DeFreeze... That's a made-up name. That's that's a real name. Does he own an ice cream store? He is Dr. Freeze's nephew. <laughs> Little Donnie. Donnie's all grown Donnie up. Donnie DeFreeze. So they had also had proof that SLA leader Donald DeFreeze and SLA member Nancy Ling Perry had actually attended People's Temple meetings in the past. They had pictures of them at meetings. They also had pictures of Stephen Weed at these meetings, who was Patty Hearst's boyfriend. Ooh, a lot of toes dipping into a lot of little ponds here. So at this point, there's no denying the connection. I mean, maybe if you had sprung for more than $2,000, we would have believed you, Jim, but we're not buying it. We're not buying it for the low, low price tag of $2,000. We are not. That's for sure. So in an attempt to persuade the police that the People's Temple were not involved and did not sympathize with terrorists, Tim Stone writes a letter to the police. He's so good at writing letters. It read, Dear police, this is Tim Stone. (laughs) What? I'm just kidding. Okay. It didn't. That's not. (laughs) That's not how it read. But I envision that. I truly thought. It went something along those lines. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, it did, however, state that a People's Temple member, Chris Lewis, who I guess was apparently involved in a Black Liberation Army-related shooting, had agreed to leave San Francisco and never come back. But in the letter, they failed to mention that the reason why Chris Lewis wasn't coming back was because he was actually... On his way to Jonestown. Oh, isn't that convenient? Convenient. Jim Jones also hated the Nation of Islam, and he claimed that they were racist and sexist and also falsely claimed that they had started a fire at the People's Temple at the San Francisco headquarters. Look, I'm just going to say it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Just hating the Nation of Islam and saying, like, they're racist. If you hate a nation of Islam mm-hmm. for no reason. Exactly. You are racist. Precisely. Maybe. 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 Then when a People's Temple member was yelled at and harassed for taking a picture of an NOI member, Jim Jones did what any pastor of a rival church would do. He sent a couple of large black men over to the nearby mosque to, quote, Deliver a warning. That's normal. Yeah. Their beef was actually later settled when they decided to hold a spiritual jubilee at the L.A. Convention Center in 1976. Thousands of people were in attendance with People's Temple members dressed in red and black and the Nation of Islam members dressed in white. Why does this feel like gang colors to me? 
It kind of actually does. This is weird. Now that you're bringing that up. I didn't make that connection before, but... This is weird. Very weird. Do they have a dance-off? Maybe they had, like, a... I don't know. I didn't read anything about that, but... So weird. I would say probably, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Many big political figures, such as L.A.'s very own Mayor Tom Bradley, who, if you remember, Jones actually helped to get elected, were in attendance, as well as activists Angela Davis and Lieutenant Governor Mervyn Dimely. People's Temple security guards stood shoulder to shoulder with Nation of Islam security guards in a show of union between the two churches. And Jones actually said, We are grateful for this symbolic merging of our two movements. If the People's Temple and the Nation of Islam can get together, anyone can. Wow. No. 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 That seems insane. Yes. Also, they definitely had a dance-off. Oh, totally. They had a fucking walk-off. It was like Jim <gasps> Jones against whoever the leader of the Nation, Nation of Islam, of Islam. Was. <gasps> and then whoever PT versus NOI. Whoever pulled their underwear out first won. Man, the files are in the computer. Walk-off. Black lung pop. <laughs> Well, we all know that the infamous Jonestown settlement ended up in Guyana, where the ultimate walk-off would occur. But, just as we have with the rest of the series, I think it's very, very important to really get into what leads up to where we end up. Yes. (laughs) This series feels so deep, dude. It's very deep. It's four episodes. I feel into it. Four podcast episodes deep. And each episode is almost two hours long. Yeah. And a lot of talking. This is our first cult, and that's probably the reason why, because it's very in-depth. You are welcome. We love you so much. Okay. Jim Jones was feeling the heat, partly because of the expose of the former members that we talked about earlier at the top of the pod, partly because of the growing police and media scrutiny. And obviously, they lost the walk-off. You know, mm. it's like they were trying to pull a blue seal, but they couldn't manage it. They were the Derek Zoolander and the Nation of Islam was the Hansel because they're just so hot. Right so now. hot right now. So hot. No one can beat them. Mm-mm. Luckily, he still had the temple's attorney and part of Jim's inner circle, Tim Stone, on his side, even though he had made him sign that awful letter claiming that Jimbo was the father of his baby. Tim was still like... Tim, Jim, it rhymes, we're good for now. Tim had prepared what they call the Immediate Action Contingency Plan, which if your cult has an Immediate Action Contingency Plan, things are fine. You don't need to worry at all. (laughs) This plan listed several options for what to do when the heat was on and Jim was just trying to get out of Dodge. Mm. This plan contained various escape routes, such as one to Canada and one to the Caribbean missionary posts. Hmm. Jim, which I'm sure was just trying to figure out a way to keep sunglasses on like longer during the day. Duh. Like, where am I going to move? Canada, where I only can keep them on for six hours, or the Caribbean, where I can keep them on for at least 18 hours and no one's going to question that. <laughs> You're going to go Caribbean on that one. So he chose, duh, the sunny Caribbean option. Well, that plus, remember that article that he read in Esquire magazine about Uh, the best places to survive a nuclear blast? Yes, yes. You know, right, because everyone knows if you're trying to escape a nuclear blast, 
Esquire magazine is your best source for info. Yeah, when I was looking for an update on COVID and what was going on, I turned to GQ. You have to. They give the best information on facts. They know a fact. They know fact. (laughs) For fact. They know it. Well, this article listed Bello Horizonte, as Nicole talked about in the last episode. But Jones wasn't keen on Brazil, so he went to North Guyana because I'm pretty sure he was just like, that's the same fucking place. Yeah, I mean, whatever. He was like, I want to get Bello Horizonte with you, girl. And he just didn't know that Guyana was a different place in Brazil. I'm just going to fucking assume No, that. he thought it was the same thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he made a lot of horizontal jokes. Like, the horizonte. More like, Bella, let's get horizonte. <laughs> Am I right, pretty lady? Yeah, basically, that's why he settled on Guyana <laughs> yes. at the, in the end. Because I mean. he couldn't stop making Bella horizonte jokes. And Guyana, he was like, I'm a guy. Anna, I don't and know. Do you wanna? I'm a guy. Do you wanna 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 go to Guyana? Yeah, like the Fanta commercials. It rhymes, so he was like, "I'm in, done." Plus, also at the time, aside from that, Guyana had instituted what was called a cooperative socialism, which, due to a revolution sparked by sugarcane profits. Mm. whose main objective was to, quote, ensure that the people of Guyana own and control for their benefit the natural resources of the country. And Jones really liked the sound of that. Because remember, he was definitely not a socialist, but trying to say he was. Right. I like the sound of that, too, actually. It makes tons of sense. Yeah. Jones felt that he could get away without being watched like he was in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, there were extradition treaties stating that he couldn't be brought back to the USA for crimes, and Guyana kind of needed Jones in a weird way. That's crazy to me that that even exists. Like, you can fucking commit murder and then flee to Guyana, and they're just like, we can't bring you back. We're in Guyana, and we don't want to send you back. We don't Guyana send you back. What do you think we are? Brazil? (laughs) No, we're not. We're Guyana. And we don't want to. Exactly. They do a lot of rhymes there, I think. See, in 1966, Guyana, Great Britain, and Venezuela signed a Treaty of Geneva because Guyana was under Great Britain's rule. But Great Britain was kind of like, you know what? Be your own country. We believe in you. We're fucking out of here. They're just like, we're we're technically ruling too many countries right now. We can't keep track of all of them. So, like, just you do you for a little bit, Guyana. Um, We'll just, like, back up and be cool. Like, we have, like, 100,008 countries right now. And we're only trying to rule, like, I'm thinking, like, less... So maybe, like, you go do you, and, like, we'll do us. Like, it's not you, it's me, you know, we're Great Britain, we're great, you guy. And they just, like, push them away and left them on their own. That's exactly how that happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You can YouTube it, there's a video. Yeah, I saw it. Guyana and Britain. Pierce Brosnan did a, he did a movie about it. Fucking nailed it. Oh, God, he was so beautiful in that. So good. He was called Skyfall. Was that him? 
Yeah, that was him. He was in Skyfall. Pierce Brosnan was in Pierce Skyfall. Pierce, yeah. The story of Guyana and Great Britain <laughs> split up. It's called Skyfall. <laughs> if anyone wants a, a very accurate account of um, the split of Great Britain and Guyana, you should watch the movie Skyfall because it'll give you an accurate representation of all historical facts. That's exactly what that Adele song is about. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan playing Daniel Craig in Skyfall. Pierce Brosnan does a really good Daniel Craig impression in that one. And Adele does a very great rendition of the song in which she sings about Guyana's defection from Great Britain. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called Skyfall. Actually, did you know that Guyana uses that as their national anthem? Because it's in Guyana, not Great Britain, but Great Britain. They signed the Treaty of Guyana, where they all agreed to just like get along and stop fighting over land. But that all ended around the time that Jimbo was looking for a new base camp. Guyana figured, with a few hundred Americans living in the country. There was no way that Venezuela would fuck with them and risk the wrath of the Americans because, you know, we're America. Right. We will we'll fucking end you. This is what we do. It's what we do. We do. We have John Rambo and we will deploy him. We will. Also, Guyana was having this insane problem with coastal erosion at the time. Mm. But the country is made up of pretty much just, like, dense jungle and then, like, a major city. And then also a very thin strip of coastline. So, with the coastline becoming less and less easily inhabited, the jungle needed to be cleared to make room for infrastructure. So who better to do it than a group of socialist hippies begging for a place to live? The prime minister, whose real name I'm not making this up, is Forbes Burnham. Okay said about Jones, he, quote, wanted to use cooperatives as the basis for the establishment of socialism. And maybe his idea of setting up a commune meshed with that. Which, I'm gonna say, yeah, Forbes. That's not a made-up name, and also you're right. Yeah, you're totally a real person. Yes. Forbes Burnham from Guyana? (laughs) I believe you. I believe that you are a real person, and what you were saying Makes sense. Imagine looking at an infant and saying, Forbes Burnham. I can't even picture that in my mind. Well, his mom did, because he's a real person. And ever the attention seeker, our little Jimba Jones thought that Guyana was just third world enough for him to become influential in the country, gaining political asylum. Of course he did. He was like, he doesn't want to brag, but he's kind of a big deal. In Guyana, he is. Yeah. He puts the guy in Guyana. He is the guy I'm in the Guyana. Guy. He's the guy. This was a real honest win-win at this point. Jim Jones needed to convince the people that this was a good idea, the people of the people's temple. So what he did is what any manipulator does. He convinced people that the promised land was out there and that they deserved to go there. He didn't really mention where the promised land was, specifically not mentioning South America or a third world country, because he always made sure to mention how lush and wild the promised land was and how they were meant to be there, like the Garden of Eden. Mm. 
Yes. Word of this promise started to spread throughout the planning commission, and suddenly it seemed like it was their idea to move, not Jim's. Which is like manipulation one on one. Make it seem like it's your idea instead of mine. Uh huh. For sure, one hundred percent. Yes. Then the planning commission convinced the other members of the People's Temple that at the end of the day, Jimbo was basically like, "Well, if you all insist, we can move to the jungle. Like, if that's what you want, sure, okay, yeah, Guyana, yeah, that's nice this time of year. We could go there. That's fine. If that's what you want." That's what I'll do. That's what you guys want. I definitely was not even thinking about that, like, in any capacity, any sort of way, before you mentioned that. But now that you're mentioning it, sure. Yeah, we could go there. That's do it. fine. If you we'll insist. Mm. And in October of 1973, the Planning Commission passed a resolution to establish a socialist agricultural mission just outside of Georgetown, Guyana. Just like Jim Jones wanted. The country of Guyana leased the People's Temple, just over 3,800 acres of dense jungle. This was about 150 miles from the capital city of Georgetown, not far from the disputed border with Venezuela. The land was fucking awful, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. dense jungle, absolute junk soil that was virtually impossible to grow crops in. And trees so hard that they literally broke chainsaws. How do trees break chainsaws? Guyana trees. Guyana trees break Guyana trees. Chainsaws. Yeah. You know what they say about Guyana trees? They break chainsaws. Heard that one. Is that what people say? That trees break chainsaws? In Guyana? I've never heard anyone say that, but I've never met anyone from Guyana, so... Well... We had to figure that one out, I guess. Yum. It's a phrase there. It's their national anthem next to the Skyfall song. In Guyana, my chainsaw broke. That's what everyone says. So in 1974, somewhere between 35 and 50 People's Temple members could not find an exact number. BT dubs. Yeah. These were mostly young men. They would make the trip to the shithole plot of land that would become Jonestown. The trip involved a 24-hour boat ride across a very rough ocean, followed by 12 hours on a river up, like up river, to Port Kaituma, and then a six-mile trek on foot across dirt roads to the settlement. They pitched their tents and would be in charge of coming up with a plan to make it all livable. Do we know if anyone died in the creation of Jonestown? I don't... I didn't find anything. Yeah, because I didn't... I didn't come across any of that information either in my research, but I have to say that I think that that's amazing that no one died because... Yeah. Like, they took... Normal, regular people, and a, a lot of them are former drug addicts that yeah. had found Savior in Jonestown or like, when they were young. Or, like, farmers from Indiana. Yeah, exactly. And then they just dropped them in the middle of a jungle with a chainsaw that breaks after one use, and then a tent and maybe a lantern, and you're just like, build a commune. They- and then they did, and it's amazing to me that these people actually did this. Yeah, I didn't find anything on anyone dying. Yeah. 
originally. It's amazing. I, you know, there isn't a ton of information about these first, like, settlers, I guess you could call them. Yeah. But I do know that they weren't even given a lantern. They had to make their yeah. own. They, that's what is so insane to me that these people, like, they thrived in the jungle. And you would think that, if I mean, if I were thrown in the jungle, I'd probably die. Do you know how many mosquitoes are in the jungle? I'd see one centipede and kill myself with the chainsaw. Oh, easily. Yeah. Can you imagine how big yeah. jungle centipedes no. are? No. I bet they could steal a baby out of a mother's arms. Probably could. The centipede ain't my baby. Well, this first project for the new Jonestown population was to build an access road to the nearest paved road to bring equipment in and out. This would consist of clearing over 300 yards of trees in a path wide enough to fit a bulldozer down. This is the very first thing these people had to do. Wow. Then they would spend their days trying to cut down one tree, breaking chainsaws, breaking axes, breaking handsaws, before they met a group of natives that told them that literally the only way to remove these hard-ass trees that covered the land was to rock them back and forth over and over until the ground became soft and the trees just fell over. Wow. Wow. So that's what they did. Over and over and over. I wonder how many times you had to rock a single tree back and forth before it actually fell. Probably exactly how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. 168. The world may never know, Nicole, who gave you that number. I did it myself once. Did you really? I did. I'm very impressed with you. Thank you. Your stamina, your determination. I was a very determined child. I'm impressed. (laughs) Well, their first building was called the Shoe Factory. Why? I do not know. I could not find that. This would house a lot of the first inhabitants, followed by more small cottages. I was going to ask you why it was called the Shoe Factory, but you stated that you did not know. I probably tried to find the answer to that for about 45 minutes. They clearly weren't making shoes. No, the only thing I can think of is that it looked like a shoe factory, like it was a big rectangular building maybe. Everything is a big rectangular building. They probably thought it was a joke. Man, they're in fucking Guyana. Give them a break. (laughs) They're rocking trees back and forth to build buildings. I suppose. They need a joke now and then. I suppose. An account that I did read said that they used handmade kerosene lamps to light the lodgings at night. They used a 55-gallon drum. It was converted into a stove. And several other 55-gallon drums were used to collect rainwater to not only drink, but also bathe in. The men would play dominoes, cards, and read at night just to kind of fill the time before bed. Mm-hmm. In the first three years, a handful of Americans from the heartland and around 200 Guyanese natives built a very real farm in the middle of a jungle. And of course, they built a very big cage for Mr. Muggs, mm. everyone's favorite Jonestown chimp. I just have to say, poor Mr. Muggs. I mean, man, he's finally in an environment that he could actually thrive in, and they still have him locked up. Oh, my God. It's got to just be like the cherry on top of a shit situation. I almost feel like this. A shit situation, again. A shit situation. Yes. This, to me, is the quintessential Jim Jones moment. He brings Mm. a motherfucking chimpanzee. Can I say that on the podcast? Or are we cutting the word motherfucker? 
It's we aggressive. Never cut, we never cut the word motherfucker. He's bringing a motherfucking chimpanzee. Yes. Who has lived only in Indiana and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. To a jungle with his fucking people. Yeah. And he says, you have to live in a cage. Terrible. That is a... F- Ooh, girl. Terrible. I can't even describe how I feel about it. Yeah. Poor Mr. Muggs. Mm. But actually, at this point, the People's Temple was hemorrhaging money. Everything had to be brought in. Everything, including tools, equipment, and food. It would take weeks and weeks for things to arrive by ship. Or the people of Jonestown would have to fashion it themselves out of whatever they had. Not to mention that they were hiring all of these natives and Jim Jones was paying them money. In 1974, the People's Temple was granted permission to import items to Jonestown duty-free, which means no tax. Wow. Thanks to healthy, healthy payoffs given to officials by Sweet Jimba. These payoffs would later help to safeguard shipments of firearms and drugs through customs to Guyana. So, little you pay me now, I pay you later. You know how it works. Yeah. Until Jim Jones got the bright idea to start fostering teenage boys. Oh, okay. Yeah, seems weird. It's about to get weirder. (laughs) Jim Jones would have members of the People's Temple sign up as foster parents. They would foster teen boys, bring in the foster care checks every single month that would go directly to the temple, probably to Jim's pockets, let's be honest. Yeah. And then they would literally send these boys to South America to work for 18 hours a day. Wow. This seemed to go completely unnoticed by the government. And I, again, looked so hard to find information that this scam was busted and I couldn't find anything. Over those three years, it was a real mixed bag of fortune with long, hard days, but also a lot of it was rewarding. A few accounts that I read, people actually kind of thought it was amazing to be in Guyana. Mm -hmm. It was a group of people who were working towards a common goal from sunup to sundown, and everyone seemed to get along perfectly. A quote I found from one early resident named Mike Touche reads, We worked hard to build what we thought was going to be a better way of life for the family members back here in the States. My job was to build the roads cleared the trees of the land for planting crops, and making the building sites. When I started, I got to see things that you only see in magazines like National Geographic. Macaws, toucans, monkeys, snakes, panthers, nomadic Indians, and so on. He says in his interview, I consider myself very lucky and blessed that I was able to experience such things. My memories from 1974 until the beginning of 1978 are many and full of love, and to this day, they still bring a tear to my eyes. Not only the memories of building of Jonestown, but the friendships and camaraderie that we had before 1978 is beyond words. That's actually very fucking beautiful. Yeah. And it just makes even more the the, the fact that Jim Jones was, like, the poison in this scenario. Yeah, dude. This whole thing was bigger than him, and then he was, like, the middle of it, he was the face of it, and he just, when he came, he just poisoned everything. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was fucked up. I read reading this article with the interview of this, or yeah. I, I cried reading the interview. Because I can, I can see that you come, you you come to Guyana. You're in the middle of the jungle. It's hard at first, but you build those relationships with people, and then yeah. you you're building something that you think is going to be better, and then I mean, you're yeah. literally working your ass off to build a living. Yeah, like to build a place for your family. Yeah. It, and it was just literally poisoned and ruined by yeah. Jim Jones. Yeah. But in part of his interview, I read that he made friends with an eagle. Mm-hmm. There was an eagle he would see every day and he would feed it. Oh, my God. <sighs> I was crying so hard. And he would feed this eagle and it would, like, land on his shoulder and he was, like, friends with it. And then one day it flew away and he never saw it again. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, it just feels symbolic in a way. Yeah. But it was very beautiful. He said he had a very beautiful time there. I'm sure he did, yeah. And then luckily he just wasn't there to drink the flavor in. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, Jim Jones would travel back and forth from this promised land at Jonestown to the United States, claiming that everything was going so well he couldn't even believe it. He even went as far as taking a photo in front of a massive pile of fruit that he claimed was harvested from the compound before cultivation even started. (laughs) Of course, he was absolutely lying, and he had bought all of that fruit in Georgetown to stage a photo. Wow. Seems on brand. Over the course of four years, the group that had originally landed in Jonestown was able to complete quite a bit of work. Out of the original 3,800 acres... Around 1,500 was a solid working farm, complete with fields of crops, chickens, cows, and pigs. By 1977, there were 60 cottages built at Jonestown. Large communal kitchen with huge food storage areas big enough to feed hundreds of people. Laundry rooms, makeshift infirmary, two schools, and a huge open-air pavilion where Jim would host his meetings and sermon. The same pavilion where the infamous aerial photograph of the bodies of Jonestown victims was taken. Jonestown was only meant to house around 500 people, and it was meant to take about 10 years to build. Even though that was Jimba Jones's plan, he would soon have to bring twice as many people to Jonestown in about half the time. To try to escape media attention and investigations by the police that were becoming more and more frequent... Jim Jones and hundreds of People's Temple's members decided it was time to make the move to Jonestown in 1977. At this time, there were several members who had defected from the People's Temple who, we actually mentioned a few earlier, but they were talking and the things that they were saying about Jim Jones and the People's Temple were not great. So the heat was on and Jim realized he had once again outstayed his welcome. Two reporters named Marshall Kilduff and Phil Tracy wrote an article for the magazine New West, and they wrote all about the People's Temple from accounts of past members. They wrote about the fake healings, the sexual abuse, the spankings, and the misuse of funds. Basically, all of Jim's dirty laundry was just hung out to dry for all of the world to see. Yeah, it was an aggressive expose Mm -hmm. with tons and tons of proof. A month before the article was released, 
Jim started sending people to Jonestown because he actually knew that people were talking and he knew he was about to be outed. On August 1st, 1977, the day that the article was officially released, Jim was happily on a plane to Guyana, officially dodging the bullet. Dude, no shit. Right? Because he, he knew. He knew this was going to happen. Yeah. So he left. And after this mass migration, Jonestown was now super crowded, coming in at just a little under 900 people in 1978. Remember, they have 60 cottages built. Yeah. And a shoe factory. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was basically like everyone knows we're fake. This article's coming out. We need to get the fuck out of the U.S. Yeah. And so they did. And that was their only option. But Jones wasn't able to get everyone out before the article dropped. And they obviously had a lot going on in San Francisco. So a few people were left behind to sort of clean everything up. And these people actually became known as the lucky ones. Yeah. So... When Jim Jones got to Jonestown, things changed drastically. He started by canceling movie nights. What? Which, how dare how he? How dare he? Yeah. Before Jones entered Jonestown, the first settlers would host movie nights. They would get movies from Georgetown. Jones canceled these and would replace them with documentaries about America's uh. societal problem. And also with Soviet propaganda, which we'll get into a little later with his whole tie to Russia. But he was trying to insult this in his members. What a fucking bummer. Yeah. That is so depressing. Right. After the population increased, everything just sort of went to shit. While they did have some things set up, they were not as set up as they should have been. You have to think, everyone that came wasn't necessarily able-bodied and ready to start just knocking down trees and making new homes. There were a lot of children, and there were a lot of elderly people as well. Yeah, I read about um, one-third was children, one-third was elderly people, Mm -hmm. and then the other third was people that could physically work. So two-thirds were people who couldn't work yeah and remember Mm -hmm. this is dense ass jungle yeah it has taken four years to build only 60 cottages exactly for 900 people exactly and for several months temple members were forced to work six days a week from 6 30 in the morning to 6 p.m at night with only an hour for lunch And then after their day of work, members would then attend Jim's lectures in the pavilion, and he would lecture about socialism. And Jim was actually using North Korea's system of eight hours of work a day and then eight hours of study. So he was following this model, and it's just like, how do you even live like that? Well, if we know one thing about North Korea, not only are the people there extremely happy, they have a fine and functioning society with absolutely no problems. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jones started to get really, really controlling with his members once he actually entered Jonestown. If you wanted to date someone, you had to apply for it. What? And... If you were approved by Jim, 
and then you say you wanted to break up with this person, you also had to apply for that, and that also had to be approved by Jim. Jones also had help from his most loyal followers, two being Carolyn Layton, who we know she's the fucking worst. The worst! And then also Maria Katsaris, who Maria Katsaris kind of sort of came into the picture because Carolyn Layton went away because... Jim said she went on a special mission. Yeah, top secret. To try to find nuclear weapons in Mexico. Uh-huh. Right? But really, Carolyn Layton was pregnant. Oh. And she went to stay with her parents. What? To have the baby. Whose baby? Jim's. Yeah. And, and then when she came back, she had this baby. Uh-huh. But while she was gone, Maria Katsaris kind of took that place. And then Carolyn and Maria sort of became Jim's right and left hand yeah. men, I guess. Women? They met each say. other and held hands and said, best friends for life. Right. And they actually were pretty much running Jonestown and... They were just as crazy as Jim. Hashtag girl boss. (laughs) Maria actually went as far as um, she was taking. She took flight lessons because she wanted to be able to maneuver a plane just in case that when the people assembled decided they were going to commit mass suicide, that they were going to do it by pointing this plane to the ground and just crashing the plane. Yeah. That yeah. was an option for them, apparently. Yeah. Mass suicide was a thing that Jim talked about a lot. And there were a lot of options on how to do that Well, one. the planning commission, they were talking about it all the time. Just like brainstorming ideas of how we can do this. How can we kill everyone? And apparently one of the things was pack everyone into a plane and Maria's just going to fly it into the ground. If you use the phrase, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> you can get away with a lot. Yeah. Yes, you can. Especially in Jonestown. Hypothetically speaking, if we were going to kill, like, what, I don't know, 900 people? That's crazy. Hypothetically, how would we do that? (laughs) And Maria was like, oh, oh, pick me. Pick me. Jim. (laughs) Yes, Maria. We're going to fly a plane right into the fucking ground. Well, Maria, that's a... that's We're going to do it, Jim! That's a little extreme. We're doing it now! I like your enthusiasm. Thank you! We're going to put a pin in it for now. Okay. Maybe come back to it. When? Uh, We'll see. Have you ever had grape flavorade? I love grape flavorade. Uva. (laughs) Let's get it in your belly, Jim. Let's get it in your belly. Another key player in Jonestown was Larry Schacht. That's a that's a terrible name. Larry was a former drug addict who found a savior in Jim Jones. Larry Schacht. Larry Schacht. And he joined Jonestown and it saved him, really. Larry actually got his medical degree in Mexico, which was paid for by the People's Temple. And he ended up being given the title of doctor in Jonestown. Prestige. Prestige. He also helped provide Jim with even more drugs as he needed them more so now that he had a whole fucking commune to run. A lot of people actually changed their names at Jonestown too. 
Some opted for traditional African names. Others changed their names in support of Che Guevara and Lenin. And others just changed their names so their last name was Jones to show support for Jim Jones. (laughs) After this article was released, though, Jim lost a lot of important friends. Most of the politicians and activists who supported him in the beginning wanted nothing to do with him anymore, and attendance at his temples in California dropped significantly. And this actually led to Jim putting the L.A. Temple and the Redwood Valley Temple up for sale. Whoa. Yeah. These temples were not raking in the money they once were, and feeding costs in Guyana were not cheap. Each person got two meals a day. Whoa. Yeah, an extra. That's like 16 beans. Yeah, but mostly it just consisted of rice, beans, and I guess the occasional sometimes green. But they also always had Flavor-Aid. Fun fact, Nicole. drink. Did you know that Mm -hmm. Flavor-Aid is a local company made in West Chicago, Illinois? Is it still? It is. Yeah, I was on their website. They're hiring. I might apply. <laughs> to be a flavor aid. Okay. To be a great flavor aid tester. Wow. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. I hope they don't Google my name. <laughs> Except for Jim. I'm not sure if he was getting better meals. I mean, I assume he was, but he actually gained a lot of weight in Jonestown. No, he was also only eating... 16 beans a day well he was eating the beans really got to him because he gained so much weight probably the only one who actually did in jonestown so much so that he actually needed to order new shirts because he was hulking out of his old ones no i'm just like i'm working out you know what i mean it's like i'm just beefcake over here all right so watch this ready i'm a flex ready he's bulking up And then it's just all beer belly, like, busting those buttons. Those buttons just fly off. They hit, like, one guy in the eye, and he's like, damn. Like a goddamn pussycat doll song. <laughs> Jim would also read the news, and he would broadcast it over Jonestown speakers so all members could hear. Usually reporting and painting the United States as the capitalistic villain while also praising socialist leaders such as Kim Il-sung, and Joseph Stalin. I'm not going to say the U.S. isn't a capitalistic villain. Mm. Yeah. But, oh, my God. It's like, it would be like reading Twitter out loud for hours a day. It's basically what he did. And it would make me want to kill myself. Basically what he did. Yeah. As Noel mentioned above, Jonestown stood on soil that really wasn't ideal for farming, so they had to import a lot of food. And most members lived in communal houses with walls made of woven truly palms. And occasionally their meals would have some meat and eggs, but honestly, it was just mostly beans and rice. So it's very cheap. Very cheap. Jones lived in a communal house as well, although his home supposedly had a small refrigerator where he hoarded good shit like eggs, meat, fruit, salads, and also soda. 
1978, the members of the People's Temple started experiencing a lot of medical problems like diarrhea and high fevers. Oh, definitely not due to only eating beans and rice for the last 18 months. And definitely not, nothing has to do with the fact that the doctor of the island was certified in Mexico and also probably... Definitely not a real doctor. (laughs) Definitely not a real doctor. Malaria... More like hookeria, am I right? (laughs) Kids at Jonestown were cared for communally and were often really only allowed to see their biological parents at night and for only short periods of time. Everyone called Jim Jones father or dad, and I'm talking both adults and children. Better than daddy, I guess. I I guess there is that. And I guess Jim's no children rule was thrown to the wayside because 33 babies were born in Jonestown in the nursery. So a man's got to fuck, Nicole. Come on. <laughs> Probably all his, too. Or I'm like most say of definitely his. Definitely 30 of those are his. Yeah. Jonestown relied heavily on social security checks received by members. Close to $65,000 in welfare payments were received from the U.S. government by residents of Jonestown. And all of the money was then turned over to Jim Jones in the People's Temple. The U.S. Embassy in Georgetown investigated these people to make sure they were not being held against their will and obviously forced to hand over this money. They interviewed 75 people and none of them claimed this or stated that they had any intention of leaving Jonestown. So they were all for Jonestown. Oh, yeah, man. They moved to another country for him. Hell yeah. Also, I just looked up what $65,000 is worth yeah. from 1978. Yeah. It is $300,000. A month. Holy shit. Yep. Yep. While Jonestown did not have a prison, they had many fucked up ways to punish people if you were to step out of line. One being the isolation box, which was a six by four by three foot box made out of plywood where they would put people who had misbehaved. Wow. Six feet by four feet by three feet. And they did not only put adults in here. Children were also (gasps) put in this box. So it's like a coffin, Mm -hmm. essentially. An isolation box, as they called it. Along with the isolation box, beatings were a big thing, and they became even more severe. Actually, if you listen to the tapes from Jonestown, there are several instances where they are performing beatings on people for just completely stupid shit like you're talking too much so we're all just gonna beat you i would get a beating all the time basically it seems like these people were living in the jungle and they had nothing to do so they ganged up on people and beat them for fun is what i came to the conclusion of on my own that's absolutely insane yeah and probably extremely true yeah they would also torture people mentally who had misbehaved one time a woman who was known to be terrified of snakes was forced down, and they put a boa constrictor on her. Jones was administering both mental and physical torture to people who had stepped out of line. Wow, that's horrifying. Yeah. If you tried to escape and you were caught, you were brought back to Jonestown and then shot up with drugs such as sedatives, opioids, antipsychotics, and also Valium. Oh, and also Jones 
put up armed guards because he had smuggled in weapons and they patrolled the settlement day and night and basically just enforced rules and kept anyone from escaping. I just want for one moment to pause. Okay. Mm-hmm. Remember that man I talked about earlier that had a friend eagle? Yes. That he was just like driving around. He Love was clearing it. the land. Yes. Playing cards. Mm-hmm. Just be a part of a socialist community where they all helped each other and they all Hell lived yeah. together. Hell and they yeah. were farming this beautiful jungle land. Yes. And now it is a fucking fortress yeah. where they're putting snakes on a Jane. And they're fucking patrolling it with AKs. Yeah. That is fucked up, dude. And you know what the catalyst was that said that? What? Fucking Jim Jones coming to Jonestown. Jim motherfucking Jones. Mm-hmm. In 1977, 70% of the population of Jonestown were African American. With 45% of the population being black women. And actually, most of the members of Jonestown were women. In a chart I found on Wikipedia, out of the 999 members that they had in 1977, 638 were women and 361 were men. So if you think all the things I just mentioned were bad, wait till you hear what we have to tell you on the next part. Jonestown Part 4. It's the final Jonestown. Jonestown. Because things get really, really messed up. So yeah. stay tuned. We are going to talk about how just shit gets fucking unhinged. Like, you think it's wild now, man? Wait till Jim Jones loses his fucking just. shit. And his empire falls. Yes. It's going to be, it's going to be dark and it's going to be long. The final episode where we will wrap up everything and you will get the conclusion, the very sad and mess up conclusion, but you will get it of our four part, our longest series, Jonestown. It's probably going to be our longest episode too. Probably, yeah. Part four. Well, if you want to read any of the source material for this. There's so many of it. So There's so much. Highly recommend Road to Jones Sound. So um, that's all going to be on our website. Check it out in the show notes. We are, again, going to skip listener mail for this one. And yeah. we will hit it up at the... Probably not the end of the next episode because it's going to be very long, but I think we're going to do a special one. We might do a special, yeah. So stay tuned. And if you have any listener lore that you want to send us, hit us up at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Yeah, and slippery slide into those DMs, sweet little babies. (laughs) At quiteunusualpod, we're on all the social means. Or you can, honestly, you can mail us a letter if you want to. Yeah. We have a P.O. Box. We do. It is P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. Send us some snail mail. We're going to read it. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's very fun. 
it's very fun to read your reviews. It we love them fun. so much. And we also, if you leave us a review, I'll send you some stickies. We got some new ones coming in the mail. They're going to be very, mm. very cute. Mm. And we have a couple of new Coven Acolytes to welcome to the Coven. So, Noelle, will you lead us off? Welcome to Sweet Chasby. Welcome to Jennifer T. And of course, Evan K. May the magic be ever in your favor. If you would like to join our Patreon and unlock tons of exclusive content and just generally support our podcast, you can go to the link in our social media bios or just go to patreon.com slash quite unusual pod. We hope to see you in the coven. And always remember to celebrate the strange. And while you're at it, Keep it unusual. Bye. And this is the part of the show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and, of course, benevolent beings. Evan K., an arcane archaeologist who discovered the ancient temple of Baphomet, and now he uses it as his man cave. Sounds quite cozy. Savannah L. Exorcist by J, but DJ by night. <laughs> Tim M., who once worked as a mechanic on a gray alien spacecraft, but had to quit because he was just too tall for the company uniforms. Are you expecting a flood, Tim? Those are quite short. Hmm. Spencer W., an ex-member of a snake-handling cult. His final day came when a snake he was handling bit him, giving him superpowers, and now he goes by Snake a Snake Boy. Mike B., a paranormal investigator who can not only commune with ghosts, but holds a monthly poker tournament in the spirit world every full moon. When the veil is thinnest. It's so thin. Not put everything on black. (laughs) Lauren R., a powerful witch, who enjoyed playing with the dark magic so much that she trapped a demon inside of a doll for fun. I was wondering where my raggedy and all went. Ooh, Annabelle? Maybe. Kaleo, so charismatic that she convinced L. Ron Hubbard to join her cult. Only to deny him access to the door. Sorry, Elron. You're not on the list today, baby. Yeah, I just, I'm not seeing you on this list right now, so maybe if you come back later. Thanks so much. Samantha P. knows for a fact that the Earth is flat. Why? Because they were the all-knowing force that created it, baby. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you. We are nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Not worthy.